greetings to all our friends around the world, and welcome to our guests, and welcome to all those who are online listening to the sermon here today. One week from tomorrow night is the Feast of Trumpets, so we're getting excited about the festival season coming up, which we anticipate, and of course it symbolizes and foreshadows the future events that are coming, especially the greatest event in all history, the second coming of Christ. So we look forward to the festival season. Many of you are familiar with the old television series called Mission Impossible. There are several movies that came out on that. The MI agents who are overcoming, it seems, impossible obstacles and use various strategies and technology to make sure that they could accomplish their mission. And yet, we have a mission to accomplish. It seems impossible. And yet, we are a small church given the greatest mission on earth. The title of the sermon today is The Greatest Mission on Earth. What is that mission? We'll have several mission statements throughout the sermon in describing that. But turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, Matthew 25, and how can we, as a small group of people, called out ones, accomplish the greatest mission on earth? Matthew, sorry, Matthew 28, and you're familiar with this scripture, Matthew 28, and verse verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. The King James Version has, All power has been given to me. So how can we accomplish that great dismission? By Christ's authority and by His his power. We're thankful for that mission, and how can we again accomplish that through His power? Turn to Habakkuk, the first chapter. Habakkuk is in the Minor Prophets. I say, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Uh, I have to say it quickly so I can understand where where it is. Uh, Habakkuk is right after the book of Nahum. So we'll turn to Habakkuk 1 and verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. And, of course, in the context here, he's talking historically uh, about the Chaldeans uh, coming against uh, the nation of Judah. Uh, But he says, I'm going to work a work in your days, a work you won't believe, even if I declare it to you. Well, the Apostle Paul uh, repeated that later on in Antioch in the synagogue. That's in Acts 13 and verse 41. I won't turn there, but um, the Apostle Paul quoted that scripture to apply to the work that was being done in his day. Acts 13.41 Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. 
So God is doing the work. Remember what he says, I work a work. So it's God doing the work, but he's using fallible human instruments to do the work. Mr. Rod McNair's sermon last week, he asked, are we living in the last days that help us to face the reality of our times? He concluded his sermon with the famous scripture by, or the famous statement by Jesus in John 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's a scripture that should be on our hearts and minds as well. Mr. Nostiager's sermonette last week gave us the message of Haggai and concluded with an emphasis on doing the work. Uh, you've turned to Haggai, just a couple pages beyond uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Haggai, chapter 2, and uh, verse 4. So God gives this instruction and encouragement to his servants. Haggai 2, verse 4. Now be strong, Zerubbabel says the Eternal, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Eternal, and work, for I am with you, and work, for I am with you, says the Eternal of hosts. So God shows us the encouragement. He tells us to work, but he tells us that he is with us. And he will accomplish that work. About 120 ministers, wives, and widows attended the Eastern Ministerial Conference here in Charlotte on August 28th through the 30th. Mr. Weston began that conference with the very topic we're discussing today. He asked, what is our mission? He emphasized that we must be doing the work to the very end. And he stated that we are preparing for the greatest event in all history. And he ended his message with John 4, verse 34. So how important is this mission of the work to you? How important is it on the world scene? And how dedicated are you to this mission? We can consider worldly examples of mission statements and, of course, I think of one of a movie I saw recently, I saw a part of the movie, Hacksaw Ridge. It featured a non-combatant military medic named uh, Dawson Dobbs, who was Seventh-day Adventist. He received the Medal of Honor for his heroism in saving 75 lives under enemy fire. Each one of the injured soldiers he had to lower down 400 feet from a cliff and he was shot, injured, but he still continued to try to save these 75 injured soldiers that were still left behind. The whole regiment had already abandoned uh, the, uh, the fight against the Japanese in Okinawa in World War II. But Dawson Dobbs stayed there, even injured, and lowered 75 people 300, uh, 400 feet down a cliff. And he got injured and had to crawl more than 300 feet and still trying to save others. So we realize the example of those who are dedicated and have served in great dedication under fire and with even with obstacles and injuries. They are still 
wanting to fulfill their mission. Mr. Weston wrote in his co-worker letter of two days ago on September 15th, 2022, Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth did not choose her calling in life, Mr. Weston writes. She could have dedicated as others chose to do, or abdicated as others chose to do, but she embraced her role in life. Though not perfect before God, as none of us are, she set a sterling example of putting duty before personal desires, and she did it with dignity and grace. Neither did we choose to be called by God to do a special work at this time, but those who embrace that responsibility will be part of the royal kingdom ruling with Christ in the near future. That is no fairy tale. We are called not to be saved only, but to do the work of preaching the good news of that kingdom of all the world, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 30, 20, which we just read, to warn our British descendant and American peoples, to warn the nations as well as the nations of the earth in general, of what is to come, Ezekiel 33, verses 2 through 7, and to feed the flock of God. Those precious few who respond to God's will, John 21, verses 15 through 17. So how, how are you following in those great commissions? Are you committed to follow those missions? So Christ gave us a purpose, a work, and a mission. But how will you describe your own personal mission? Do you have a personal mission statement? Are you on a committed mission? All the great victories that have been accomplished have been done by leaders who have dedicated and committed. Of course, God is the greatest servant of all. He serves everything in the universe. And... They have used faithful servants throughout history in the service of God's work throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he has an organized team led by the presiding evangelists, the council of elders, the congregations, the body of Christ connected together all over the world with its international headquarters here in Charlotte. The Living Church of God has stated its mission the foundational evidence of that mission are stated in the official statement of fundamental beliefs. And I don't know if you all have a copy of this uh, Living Church of God official statement of fundamental beliefs, but you can find it on the website, uh, members.lcg.org, and then click on About Us, and then down, scroll down to the very bottom, and you'll find the statement of fundamental beliefs. Our missions are stated with that fundamental elements for our mission for the during going to the world. In the May-June 2009 LCN, Dr. Meredith wrote an editorial entitled, The Purpose for God's Church. The message explained our purpose and mission in several points, which he called the Sevenfold Commission. So today we want to briefly examine the sevenfold commission, and we all need to ask ourselves, am I committed to personally support the mission, each mission? Am I zealous for doing God's work, or am I indifferent? Am I Laodicean? 
I hope none of us are, and I don't believe so. But I'd further like to challenge you to select one of those missions and strive to apply it throughout this coming week. Again, we are called to fulfill the greatest mission on earth. What is your attitude toward the mission? First, let's examine our attitude and commitment to our mission in life. Turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, Matthew 25. Mr. Wesson referred to this in his co-worker letter that uh, you'll be receiving next week. should be arriving uh, Monday or Tuesday. Matthew 25 and verse 25. What is our attitude towards the mission Christ has given us? Here in the parable of talents, we find the one person who was not very committed. Matthew 25, verse 25. The one who hid his talent. Matthew 25, 25. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew what that I reap where I do not sow and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the negative kind of servant, and we don't want to fall into that particular category. That lazy servant was not committed. The apostles, on the other hand, were committed to their mission. And what was their mission? Uh, turn to Acts 1 and verse 4. Acts 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with those, he commanded them not to depart from, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He gave them a mission. Verse 7, And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we today are fulfilling that mission. Of course, the apostles went out into all the world, and uh, Mr. Rod King presented a Tomorrow World telecast some years ago, the apostles' prophetic journeys. Uh, they went into all the world, uh, just as we are doing today. We consider some of the other missions that uh, Governments and companies and peoples have uh, stated as their mission. So how committed are you to Christ's mission? Again, we see the leaders in the world who have a passion for their mission. Sometimes it's a reaction against an injustice. Uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave an impassioned speech before Congress 
when Japan attacked Jet and Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. President George W. Bush also spoke to Congress after 9-11, when the two towers of the World Trade Center were destructed by terrorists and thousands were killed. On September 20, 2001, President George Bush declared war on terrorism, and he stated, quote, Great harm has been done to us. We have suffered great loss, and in our grief and anger, we have found our mission and our moment. Freedom and fear are at war. The advance of human freedom, the great achievement of our time, and the great hope of every time now depends on us and our nation. This generation will lift a dark threat of violence from our people and our future. We will rally the world to this cause by our efforts and by our courage. We will not tire, we will not falter, we will not fail. Of course, the advance of human freedom didn't depend on Americans. It depends on God, then, who will bring us true freedom in the coming kingdom. Sometimes the mission is unclear, both in the Korean War and in the Vietnam War. Uh, body counts were given as the uh, criterion for success, uh, not taking over land territory. And during the Korean War, uh, General MacArthur was uh, fired by President Truman because a war strategy policy had changed. General MacArthur objected to limited war. In his farewell address to the joint session of the United States of Congress, he proclaimed, in war, there can be no substitute for victory. In war, there can be no substitute for victory. And we, brethren, are in a spiritual war, and there can be no substitute for victory. For God gives us the victory. We have our part, of course, in overcoming self, Satan, and society. What promises do we have for victory? I won't turn there, but I'll mention a few scriptures to give us the encouragement that God does give us the victory. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's Romans 8, 31. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. And John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So God promises us victory and success in our mission. But what is our attitude towards our mission? Have we committed ourselves wholeheartedly and trust God to give us the victory? So how else can we accomplish our mission? There are several ways we can accomplish that mission, but our attitude is all important of all. We need to know our mission. If we're going to accomplish the mission, we need to know our mission and know, again, how we can accomplish the greatest mission on earth. So what is your personal mission statement? I asked one of our dinner guests some time ago what his 
personal mission statement was, and surprisingly, he said that his mission was to do God's will and through Christ in him. He had an answer to the question. And our children can have personal mission statements. Our teenagers can have personal mission statements. In fact, we have a sermon uh, which you can obtain. When I mention these sermon titles, remember the brethren that you can always go to members.lcd.org and then search a button on the on the right, uh, put in the title of that sermon, and you can find it or permutations of that sermon. Um, there's one that is, "What is your mission statement?" So uh, you can get at that uh, access that sermon on our website. What is your mission statement? So let's consider some special mission statements that are in the church and even some of in the world. Living education mission statement is uh, given by to me. Mr. Jonathan McNair shared this with me. The mission statement from living education as a whole. Quote, the purpose of living education is to provide systematic training for members, youth, and ministry of the living church of God in the knowledge of understanding of the way of God, end of quote. And then the Living Youth Program has a mission statement. Uh, Mr. Weston shared this with me. To bring teens together in a living, learning environment for the purpose of recapturing true values and to further the creation of a culture of purity, honor, and respect among the youth within the living church of God and society as a whole. There is an organization called NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council. They state they are trying to protect the bee colonies in the United States. They state that 70% of our major crops are pollinated by bees. Quote, 45% of America's bee colonies collapsed over the past year. 45% of America's bee colonies collapsed over the past year. We know why bees are dying. A torrent of pesticides called neonics, N-E-O-N-I-C-S, neonics, is a leading culprit the devastating collapse of bee colonies. NRDC has challenged Bayer Chemical Company uh, to live up to its mission statement. In a letter to Bayer, CEO director of NRDC wrote this, quote, Bayer's stated mission is science for a better life. Some of you know Bayer Aspirin, your companion. But Bayer's stated mission is, quote, science for a better life, end of quote. The CEO continues to write, please heed the science now because there will be no better life Without bees, I call upon you to stop selling bee-killing neonics immediately. So, you may have a mission statement, but are you living up to that mission statement in this particular case? So again, I ask you, what is your personal mission statement? If you hesitate, it tells you something. Perhaps you don't are not committed to a mission in life. So there should be no hesitation. Are you dedicated to a mission statement? What is your personal mission statement? 
The signers of the American Declaration of Independence were committed. They, their attitude toward Great Britain has been debated, but they had a political cause. We have a spiritual cause. But notice the declaration they signed. Quote, the declaration concludes, quote, For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So again, they were committed. You can debate their purpose and their mission, but they were deeply committed. So how committed are you to God's mission? On May 12, 1962, at West Point, New York, General Douglas MacArthur gave his farewell speech at West Point Academy. He reflected on his commitment and duty. He concluded his colorful speech, quote, But in the evening of my memory, always I come back to West Point, always their echoes and re-echoes, duty, honor, country, end of quote. He continued, Today marks my final roll call with you, but I want you to know that when I cross the river, Cross the river. My last conscious thoughts, conscious thoughts will be of the core and the core and the core. I bid you farewell. Yes, duty, honor, country. The qualities that we apply to our citizenship, which is in heaven. Of course, that's Philippians 3 and verse 20, where it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's Philippians 3 and verse 20. Those who were alive in 1981 remember the assassination attempt on President Ronald Reagan. On Monday, March 30th, 1981, President Reagan was exiting from a Washington, D.C. hotel where he had given a speech. He was about, enter, about to enter the limousine when John Hinckley, Jr. Shot, fired six shots within 1.7 seconds, hitting the president and three persons, including the president. One of the Secret Service agents pushed President, uh, president Reagan into the car and was uh, shot in the abdomen uh, as he covered President Reagan. The bullet that entered President Reagan was within just one inch of his heart, and he quipped to the doctors just before his surgery, quote, I hope you all are Republicans. M Mr. President, today, the doctor answered, Mr. President, today we're all Republicans. I saw a documentary on that, it was just oh, touch and go about trying to even find the bullet, they finally were able to remove that bullet, and he recovered. The mission statement of the United States Secret Service is to safeguard the nation's financial infrastructure and payment systems to preserve the integrity of the economy and to protect national leaders, visiting heads of state and government, designating sites and national special security events. So... The United States Secret Service has a mission statement, and these men, two agents that were shot as well as President Reagan, 
Agents Jerry Parr and Tim McCarthy were willing to take a bullet for the president. They fulfilled their mission instantaneously to save the president's life. Let's turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans 12. Individuals have been willing to sacrifice their lives to save other lives. And we've got to dedicate ourselves to be living sacrifices, as it tells us here in Romans 12. Have you committed your life to fulfill God's mission? Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you there, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yes, we need to be living sacrifices and make a full dedication to the mission that God has given us. In 2009, Dr. Meredith wrote uh, in the Living Church News, May, June 2009, a sevenfold commission uh, to the church. He gave a sevenfold mission, and this sevenfold mission has been put out on this poster, and in fact is available on the members' website. Many of our brethren here at headquarters have this poster. Many of you are new and some of our, our teenagers have grown up in adulthood. Uh, we have about 70 of these uh, poster size uh, mission called the Sevenfold Commission of the Living Church of God by Roderick C. Merritt. They're out on the information table. So I want to suggest that those of you who have already have this uh, not take one, uh, but for those of you new, uh, this is available on the information table out in the lobby and hope you will uh, access them. Uh, some of our employees have framed this uh, poster uh, size uh, uh, mission statement and uh, have it framed up in their, their office, in the, in the uh, office. It reminds me of what uh, it tells us in Deuteronomy, to write them on the walls of, of, of the post of your house. So... Uh, make, make, uh, take advantage of this uh, poster that it's there on, and if some of you have uh, lost yours in the past, maybe you can wait till everyone else has, uh, taken a copy from the information table and, and, uh, get one later on if there are some that are left over. So Dr. Meredith listed seven mission statements. We could mention them in different ways, but he, stated this in his article on June, May, June 2009, LCN, and the editorial titled, The Purpose of the Church. Dear brethren, I hope that all of you will catch the vision and join with us fulfilling the seven-hold commission. Of course, it could be worded or stated differently. And, of course, we traditionally talk about the threefold commission of the church, which already mentioned earlier by uh, Mr. Weston, but it can be told in different ways. Of course, it could be worded or structured differently, but these key elements of Christ's commission to his church, as outlined above, can be broken down into seven parts. One, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ. Two, preach the end-time prophetic prophecies in the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish key peoples. Three, feed the flock 
and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Four, be examples of the church of God and to the world as a whole, as best we can. Five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. Six, restore apostolic Christianity or change to original Christianity and all that this implies. Seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. So let's briefly discuss each of these and also give you suggested action steps uh, for each of these, how you can support each one of these sevenfold commission statements. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and the true name of Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts, the eighth chapter, Acts 8. Why did Dr. Meredith talk about the true name of Jesus Christ? Acts 1, Acts 8 and verse 9. But there was a certain man named Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they had all given heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Read that again. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Simon himself was also baptized. He continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. So, why did he preach that? Well, because there's a false name of Christ going around. And we realize there's a false Christianity. There's a false Messiah that is preached. Uh, Jesus, who uh, is the Lord of Sunday. Now, those are the false Christ. But we preach the true name of Jesus Christ and preach the gospel. And you know those scriptures that tell us how to preach the gospel and what that mission is. Mark 16, verse 15. Mark 16, 15. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned or judged. And you know Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will preach in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, John came to, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So God is blessing us in preaching the gospel and doing the work and we're just thankful of that as we already saw in Haggai and and in Habakkuk, God says, I will do a work. And he's doing it through us. But how is God doing that work? And what work, what work has been accomplished that we can be encouraged by? In the co-worker letter that Mr. Weston wrote just two days ago, and you'll receive the letter this coming week, he gives an update on what God is doing in the work. And he says in this letter, 
The duty we have been called to involves a personal relationship with our Creator, and that involves heartfelt prayer for His work and personal giving according to His will and our ability. Though we are small, we are doing a significant work. In addition to approximately 600,000 hard copy Tomorrow's World magazines sent out ten times a year free of charge to all who ask, we have just under 587,000 French, Spanish, English YouTube subscribers, a significantly different audience who say by subscribing that they want to see more of our YouTube offerings. So as small as we are, God is still blessing us. He continues to categorize some of those blessings that God is giving us in the work in his co-worker letter. We also have 828,412 combined followers on Facebook in English, Spanish, and French. And our French version of Three Things Nailed to the Cross garnered 950,000 social media views in less than two months. We also provide literature and have active websites in Dutch, Afrikaans, German, Hindi, Russian, and Chinese. So far this year, we have conducted 176 Tomorrow's World presentations in the United States, which you heard uh, Mr. Train mention in the announcements, far surpassing our previous record of 78 in 2011. Our recent presentation in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada, was successful enough to begin a new congregation there in Sherbrooke, Quebec. All of these efforts, Mr. Question writes, and so many more, are made possible by those of you who understand your calling and duty. As always, thank you for your dedication and zeal to get out an important message before our world sinks into the unimaginable. And may the God who has called you and desires to add you to his royal team at Christ's return bless you even now for your dutiful sacrifice. Sincerely in Christ's service, uh, Gerald E. Weston. And, of course, he mentions that in the video update uh, as well. So, number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ. Number two, preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish people. Turn to Ezekiel 33 and verse 7. You know, Ezekiel 33 and verse 7. The great tribulation is the time of Jacob's troubles, it tells us in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. And God is going to judge all nations, but he's going to start with the descendants of Jacob, the British and American descended peoples. Ezekiel 33 and verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. You do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 9. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So how can you personally support this mission statement? I'll give you some suggested uh, action statements. Apply Luke 21:36, which you're all familiar with. 
Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Are you watching world news? I'm sure you are. And I've, I just have to shake my head. I watched one particular, I think it was on BBC News, about the red market. You talk about the block market. Now there's the red market where human beings who need money sell body parts. And this is an underground illegal operation. And, uh, of course, the hospitals say, oh, uh, we don't pay for body parts. We only accept uh, donated body parts. But yet uh, they may charge a million dollars to uh, to put surgically put that body part in the individual. But uh, this called the red market is just horrible. You realize all the horrible things that are going on in the world. We cry and sigh for them. But we need to be watching world news. I know some of our brethren in the past have had a, a hobby of working on uh, researching certain aspects of news and prophecy. I know uh, some people were um, researching earthquakes. Uh, others are doing uh, crime and violence and weathers and natural disasters. So you can support that conference. That is the second mission uh, by watching world news and following what is going on in the world, and of course even reading uh, the United States and Great Britain and Prophecy, the booklet again, will uh, be helpful. So remember the ultimate good, good news that he gives us in Ezekiel 36 and verse 24, when those who survive the Great Tribulation, God will bring back in the second, uh, second exodus back to, to the land of Israel. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you from all countries, and bring you back into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So God is going to bring them back into their own land. And he says in verse 32, Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord eternal. For he let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded from your own ways, O house of Israel. So you can fulfill this particular mission by reading all of our booklets. We have so many booklets on prophecy, the Middle East in prophecy, uh, Revelation Unveiled, the Beast of Revelation, uh, so uh, Armageddon and beyond. So be aware of what is going on and fulfill the second commission, which is to preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish people. Number three, feed the flock and build all the members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Now turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verse 1. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Here was the Apostle Paul in his last letter before he died, at least that we have recorded. And he mentioned how he had fought the good fight and 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 had fulfilled his mission. And he's telling Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, 
I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So sometimes we're rebuked, and we should take that as God's blessing for us. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And we've seen that in spades among the churches of God. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and return away through fables. So how can you support this mission of building the church and feeding the flock and building our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can? Well, we encourage you time and time again to read the Living Church News and particularly the messages from our presiding evangelists. And the Living Church News articles have just been outstanding, very meaningful, and I found them very helpful to me personally. So I hope that you're reading the Living Church News and checking up on the Scriptures. And subscribe to our Internet uh, commentaries. And, of course, many of our sermons are available, as I mentioned, on memberslcg.org. I mentioned even the uh, Stature of Christ. It's as... Even in the mission statement, feed the flock and build our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Dr. Meredith gave a classic sermon, the stature of Christ. And uh, I need to go back and uh, listen to that. It's what you can do it as well. It's available, the stature of Christ, a sermon. You get it on our website. So, number three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Number four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. Well, 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. Talking about example. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So, he tells Timothy to be an example. And all of us have to be the light in the world, as we know, as Christ said in Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we have to be the light of the world. And we need to realize that people... See more of you than you think. Remember the bumper sticker that says, Do random acts of kindness. So how would you react if God gave, showed you a video of all the foolish things you did last week and in all the kindness and deeds that you did last week? How can you be examples to the world? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6 16 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch 
Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Here was a family that was exemplary. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The King James Version has, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were just dedicated in serving. So how can we support that mission this week? Pray that you can be lights in the world. Know every little random act of kindness you do, whether it's to a stranger at, you know, Harris Teeter Grocery Store or, or somewhere in uptown Charlotte, you, you do a kind deed to someone. Well, that kind deed is going to be remembered in the white throne judgment. And God will be able to say, do you remember the time that my servant, Mrs. So-and-so or, or Mr. and-so helped you when you were in need there in Charlotte or wherever it may be? So we need to continue to serve everyone and everyone and be lights and have that attitude of service, of course, that we learn every year in the foot washing service and the Passover. So fulfill your Christian responsibilities as a husband, as a wife, as a son, a daughter, and of course, even as an employee and wherever you may be working. You are a light in the world. You set an example by what you do. And reach out to your friends and relatives. Many of you are doing that, of course, on social media. But I have about six or seven cousins in Connecticut and Massachusetts and uh, communicate with them every once in a while. My my cousin recently called me and told us about a family reunion back in Connecticut, which, of course, I was not able to attend. But we have to be courageous and realize and also stand up for the truth. It tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And some of our high school students have had to stand up, even in classes which uh, discuss non-biblical virtues and the, the, the terrible uh, new counterculture uh, values that are being promoted around the world. And some of our students have st- stood up for that. And they've been able to, even those who have in the past been uh, athletes, have had to uh, make sure that they didn't uh, w- play on the, the Sabbath on Friday nights or Saturdays, and they've stood up and been a light and been an example. What is the sum of your character? We talk about recapturing true values. We had a, a sermon on that subject uh, just a few weeks ago on recapturing true values. I, I gave a message to the uh, living education students on that subject in the uh, orientation here recently. Uh, what are your true values? Well, they are rules for life. You know, the Penis comic strip, Lucy and Charlie Brown were uh, philosophizing. They're both leaning up against a tree. And Lucy says to Charlie Brown, Do you know any good rules for living, Chuck? And he says, Keep the ball low. Well, uh, well what does that mean? I, I think it's a new phrase for the pickleball, one of the new sports. Keep the ball low is one of his rules for life. Don't leave your crayons in the sun. 
Use dental floss every day. Give four weeks notice when ordering a change of address. And don't spill the shoe polish. Then he goes on with more rules of life. Always knock before entering. Don't let the ants get in the sugar. Never volunteer to be program chairman. Always get your first serve in. And feed and feed your dog whenever he's hungry. Then, of course, Snoopy appears with the, the dog dish. And then Lucy says, Will those rules give me will those rules give me a better life, Chuck? And here's Snoopy with a dog dish and um, and Charlie Brown says, A better life and a fat dog. But here are his true values of life, our rules of life. What are your rules of life? So we find out that God wants us to be an example to the church of God and the world of Christ's way of life. You realize in what is called Paul's valedictory in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. What would you say at the end of your life? The Apostle Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not for me only, but also for all those who loved his appearing. So, number four, be examples of the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. Number five, learn and practice servant leadership in all its dealings with others. We actually have a sermon by Dr. Meredith on servant leadership. So God is training all of us to be leaders. We need to learn and lead by demonstrating that we can follow the leader. So what are some of the qualities of true leaders? We've had several sermons on on Christian leadership, which you can access again on our website. But one of the qualities of servant leaders are they are humble. Of course, Isaiah 6 and verse 2, To this man will I look, to him that is poor and a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Leaders, true leaders, have integrity. They're honest. They keep their word. And they esteem others better themselves. It tells us in Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Philippians 2, 3, Let, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So a true leader values other people. True servants also have initiative. They see things that need to be done and do it without being told. And that you can see that sometimes in where we have people uh, that is uh, taking down chairs in the assembly hall and the people helping out, even sometimes the minister will help. Uh, put some of the chairs away in such uh, such occasions. But you realize, you recognize that someone has a need, and you fulfill that need. So you're practicing servant leadership. But true leaders also have the big picture. They know God is in charge of their lives, 
and that He rules the universe. And they know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. So how will you supply mission number five this week? Uh, pray for opportunities to serve others. And pray for a humble attitude to show honor and respect towards others. And even to pray for your enemies. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 44 says, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So number five, practice courtesy in your language and attitude towards others. Strive to encourage others. And in fact, we had another sermon by that title, Encourage One Another. Number five, learn and practice servant leadership in all its dealings with others. Number six, restore apostolic Christianity and all that this implies, or original Christianity. And of course, you want to read Dr. Meredith's booklet on restoring original Christianity. We won't want to be like the, the lazy servant in the a parable of the talents, uh, who is disobedient and lazy. We need to restore the original Christianity. We understand the new covenant, that God is writing his laws on our hearts and our minds. And we pray that we are applying the spiritual aspects of the law in our lives. And, of course, we're also submitting to one another, as it tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we're restoring apostolic Christianity. We're keeping God's commandments and applying them in the, in the spiritual uh, way of the law, not only in the letter. So how can you fulfill this mission this week? Ask God to fill you with your Holy Spirit. You need to renew us in our minds every day with the God's Holy Spirit. And it tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So you can claim God's promise of Ephesians 5, verse 18, Father, you've told us to be filled with the Spirit. I claim that promise. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. We restore apostolic Christianity even by meditating on God's law day and night, as it tells us in Psalm 1 and verse 2. And we can read the book of Acts as we read the history of original Christianity. So number six, restore original apostolic Christianity in all that implies. Number seven, Build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. So how do you build radiant faith? Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And of course that means reading the Bible, and meditating on that Bible. So I believe that all of our congregations, or most of our congregations, are growing in the faith of Christ. And you realize that our brethren, many of our brethren have died in the faith. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
as we've had brethren who have kept the faith, and they've had that radiant faith, an example for, for all of us. We have a great responsibility, but we have to fulfill that responsibility with faith, zeal, and dedication. We have many sermons on faith. I'll mention some of them. Uh, live each day by faith, the fight of faith, uh, build an atmosphere of faith, living faith, uh, faith for healing, and one we had in January, uh, living each day by faith. So be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Pray for the gift of faith and live by faith. Number seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. God's work is a work of faith. So thank God for all of you men, women, and children who are men, women, and children of faith. In today's sermon, we've discussed briefly the greatest commission on earth. We've discussed seven goals or seven missions. One, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ. Preach the end time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish people. Feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Four, be examples to the church of God of the world of Christ's way of life. Five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. Six, restore apostolic Christianity and all that this implies. Seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. So I challenge you all to choose one of those seven mission statements and try to apply it this week. Pray about it and think about it. The world is full of fools and fanatics with terrible mission statements of terrorism and evil. But God has given us the greatest mission statement of all. We are to be peacemakers and to build the faith within God's church. God is calling dedicated servants, committed servants. So God is looking for servant leaders who know their mission and who are zealous to fulfill that mission. Dr. Meredith concluded his article on the purpose of the church with these exhortations. From Again, why are we here? What is God's work and our commission all about? I hope that these above explanations will help and inspire all of you to understand why we exist and what we ought to be doing as a living church of God. Let us then move ahead on all fronts and honor God and our Savior Jesus Christ as we zealously fulfill these vital elements of the Great Commission. Please study, meditate, and pray about these points and ask God to help you build them into your daily life so that this work of God may go forward with zeal and power as never before. Dr. Meredith writes, Please study, meditate, and pray about these points and ask God to help you build them into your daily lives so that this work of God may go forward with zeal and power as never before. So, brethren, choose one of these goals of the seventh commission this week. Try to apply it in your life. Make a commitment that will help you succeed in abundantly fulfilling the mission of the church. God is calling you and me to fulfill the greatest mission on earth. And thank God that he says, I will do this work. 
but he's doing it through fallible human beings. Are you on a mission? Rejoice that God has called you into the body of Christ to fulfill his work and his will. And remember that, yes, we can fulfill that mission. As it tells us in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let us all have the attitude of our Savior. John 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So, brethren, know your incredible mission and fulfill it with zeal.